This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest led the Atlanta Hawks to the Eastern Conference Championship in 2021. 23-year-old Kevin Herter. Today's guest is the versatile, sharpshooting combo guard small forward who helped lead the Atlanta Hawks' surprisingly deep playoff run last spring. His clutch 27-point Game 7 performance eliminated Philadelphia and advanced the Hawks into the Eastern Conference Finals against the eventual NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. It's always a special pleasure to chat with a fellow alumnus of the University of Maryland, Red Velvet himself, Kevin Herter. Kevin, welcome to Game Time. Yeah, Boomer, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's great to be here. All right, so I want to start with something first. You're a New York kid. You're from Albany. You probably weren't a Knicks fan. I grew up a Knicks fan, still am a Knicks fan. Tom Thibodeau brings the Knicks finally back to the playoffs after seven years, and the Hawks come out of nowhere, and you guys just take care of us. I mean, that had to be a, an amazing moment for you, I'm sure, but a very debilitating moment for us Knicks fans. Yeah, it was fun. I'm not going to lie. That was, that was a fun series. I think it was a series going into it that not many people gave us a chance and a lot of the New York media were, were calling the Knicks in five or six and um, thought that that we wouldn't be able to get one in MSG and um, honestly you know we, we just had a lot of confidence in ourselves you know they had they had beaten us up pretty good last year during the regular season and you know, defensively we knew they were a really good team and um, Julius Randle being the head of the snake but uh, that was a that was definitely serious we went into confident offensively we we thought that we just had too much for him to be able to guard, and that seems to be how it turned out. Yeah, you know, I am part of the New York media, and as a Knicks fan, of course, I said probably the same thing. We'll take you out in five or six. It'll be pretty easy. But interestingly enough, you know, it got heated, and the fans really got into this, and they were chanting some very nasty stuff towards your teammate, Trey Young. What was the thought process in the locker room after hearing some of those things? Yeah, that was that was on. It was surprising. It was uh, there really wasn't much hate that existed between our two teams. Again, you know, over the course of the regular season of that year, and and even earlier in my career, and it seemed to be a lot of the hate was generated by New York media, and it was you know specifically going at Trey, and um, and a lot of it was was like you said, not giving us much of a chance. And um, you know, that game one, we went in, and, and MSG was rocking. That was that was. I think a moment and a feeling I'll never forget is running out of that court and, and getting booed and, and, and New York was so ready for that series and about four possession in, into the game, you know, they already, they have the FU Trey Young chance already going. And in a lot of ways it came out of nowhere. Again, there, there really wasn't much hate that existed. And you know, for us, that was, uh, it was go time. You know, we knew the rest of the series was going to be like that. Um, Trey took care of business, obviously, and led us the whole way. And that was a lot of fun. 
you know, when you take Milwaukee to six games, do you, do you realize that you're playing against the eventual NBA champion at that moment? It did. You know, honestly, it felt like it. You know, Milwaukee was, in a lot of ways, felt like a step up from both New York and Philly. And, um, you know, we felt like if we could find a way to get through Milwaukee that, you know, coming out of the West, Phoenix, you know, this year you've seen they're an unbelievable team and last year was a great team. We just felt like Milwaukee was was the best team other than ourselves left. And, um, you know, game four, I think we had Trey go down and they had Giannis go down and, and, the, whole, and the whole series felt like it shifted. And, you know, game five going into their place, it was – it felt like whoever could win that game was going to take the series and um, give them a lot of credit. They're, they're a complete team. They had a lot of guys who could hurt you. Uh, Brooke Lopez if, you know, gave us 30. He gave us you know, more than we could handle in that game. And Giannis returns at the end of that series. It was They're a good team, deserved it, um, team that I respect a lot. And someone I'm, I'm assuming that we're going to run into and have to be coming up here you know, this year, the next couple of years. How about your first foray into the NBA playoffs, the intensity and what it was like and – uh, that experience and what you learned from it? For me, it was, it was getting back to, you know, pure and, and, and the right brand of basketball. You, you prepared for every team. You knew it, their tendencies. You knew every player. Um, there was so much that went into every game that you know, every game was an individual Super Bowl where, you know, sometimes during the regular season, the NBA, you play so many games that, you know, your scouts aren't as long and, you know, the, the games kind of just, they all – they all come together and it just feels like you, you play so many games. You don't always look at each individual game as, as much as you do a playoff game. Um, just the energy that's in the building, obviously the coverage, how much people care about it, the fans that come out and, and watch it. And God, I remember growing up watching NBA playoffs and, um, and wanting to play in it. And, you know, from our first experience, um, you know, playing in New York, playing in the garden, come back. Our, our Atlanta fans are great. Philly is known for having a, a great and, and strong fan base and, um, it was a great first taste, and we had a good run, but you know, we know it was just a run, and um, we got to continue to do it. We're just getting warmed up. Stay with us as game time continues right after this. Welcome back to Game Time. Kevin Herter grew up in the Albany, New York suburb of Clifton Park. And back then, he could probably never have imagined that one of his high school teammates would also become a professional athlete in the city of Atlanta. His name, Ian Anderson of the Braves, who pitched five no-hit innings in Game 3 of the World Series. Now, I'm assuming that you guys are tight, and I'm thinking that you're probably at this game. And I'm wondering if you thought the same thing that I thought. Why in the world is Brian Snitker, the manager, taking him out of the game? He was. We were at that game. It was that was frustrating. It was only you had to trust him. Uh, you know, trust the manager making that decision. I feel like that it just shows how much baseball has changed. I've been I've been such a big baseball fan my whole life. You know, like I said, I played with Ian all the way up through high school and. And always followed. I've been a big Yankees fan, but I feel like you got a no hitter in a playoff game. You got a no hitter in any game. Usually, usually you keep them in. And you know, today's baseball has obviously changed so much and matchup wise and, and pitch count and all that. But um, he did his job. He did what he was supposed to do, I guess. And you have to trust that you know, it was the right decision, and it turned out to be. Yeah, but that's pretty cool, though. You have a high school teammate in a World Series. You're coming out of the playoffs. I'm thinking your hometown has just got to be over the moon with you two guys everybody's following we had family members and, and old teammates and old friends that were flying down over the course of his postseason run and, and last year during our postseason run just people wanting to be a part of it 
Um, like you said, never could imagine that we'd end up in the same city. Obviously, the two professional athletes uh, from our town, I believe we're the first two in, in over 20, 30 years. For both of us to come from same town, same area, you know, it's amazing. It's been great to have him, you know, along with the ride, just someone you can relate to that's so new to the sports world that it's great to have a friend in it with you. And why did you, why did you choose basketball over baseball? Because I'm assuming you must have been a pr- pretty good baseball player yourself. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was one of those things I was, I was definitely good when I was younger, just being a good athlete. And, uh, you know, I, I got to high school around ninth grade and, you know, AU season was started to overlap with the high school baseball season. And, and it started to, the, there was definitely more decisions that needed to be made. It was, was I staying back and, and playing in my, my baseball tournament this Saturday? Am I, am I driving down to Boo Williams on Thursday night to miss the whole weekend and playing a basketball tournament? And, uh, I was definitely better in basketball. I think I knew it at the time. Um, I, I seemed to never get sick of basketball. Basketball season in, in the winter would end in, in February and March, and I was ready to get to AU, and AU would end, and I was ready to get to fall ball. And you know, for me, baseball, for us, when it ended in late June or early August, it was I was I was ready to get back to basketball season. And for me, that kind of told me everything I needed to know. All right, we're going to return with Kevin Herter right after these messages. Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. Built Ford Tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe. that that counts in the NBA playoffs is winning four games in the finals. But here's one that might surprise some of you fans out there. Who is the youngest player ever to score 25 or more points in a Game 7 playoff road victory? I'll even give you a hint. His first name begins with the letter K, and it's not Kyrie, it's not Kobe, it's Kevin, and it's Kevin Herter. And Kevin, tell me about this Game 7, what it was like for you. You you found the zone and it was an amazing, amazing performance, and you ultimately come away the victor. Yeah, like I said earlier in the show, it was you know we were so banged up at that point that we had you know we had a couple guys out. DeAndre Hunter was out from that series; he was with us in the Knicks series, and, and Cam Reddish was out, and uh, Bogey wasn't even supposed to play Game Seven, and, and he got it out and, and decided to start and give it a go. And um, you know, I had Danilo Gallinari come up to me before the game, and and he pointed at Bogey, and he's like. He's like, he can't play. He can't shoot. And he's like, we need you to shoot tonight. Like, if, if you make shots, we might have a chance to win. And if you don't, then then at least we try. But he was like, you need to be aggressive and look for your shot. So it was kind of like going into the game, I knew my aggressiveness at least needed to increase. So me looking for my shot, hunting my shot. Um, and I, you know, obviously my first couple went down and that gets you into a rhythm and, and felt good about my matchups the rest of the game and, and continue to just try to stay in the game, stay in the flow of the game, get to my shots and, uh, it was one of those games, you know, luckily they fell. You, you can go through games where you get to your spots and the shots don't fall, and, and that was a game where shots fell for me. Um, game you know, it was se- a game seven, though. I mean, I mean, Kevin, game seven. I mean, think about that. That's, that is like every athlete's dream, and I would imagine every basketball player's dream. It's a game seven. It's a clinching game, and you come out and you have the game of your life. It's amazing. I mean, looking back on it, obviously I- – I think going into it, I was trying to stay in the moment. It was it was just another game, a game we needed to win. And we had, I mean, we had no pressure on it. So you go into that game, we're in their building, a team that was the one seed in, in our conference. And 
um, supposed to be competing for a championship. And, you know, for us, we're the, the upcoming team that wasn't. And we weren't supposed to win that game. And, and a lot of times it's it's a lot easier to play like that. There's there's a little less pressure on the shots you take and a little less pressure on you to win. And, and our team was – we were playing at such a high level, playing with so much confidence that – I really just felt like it was my turn to contribute and, and you know, carry us for a little bit. Last year, you guys had a turning point. You fired your coach, and Nate McMillan came in late in the year. What was the big turnaround with the new coach, and what did he bring to your team? Yeah, I mean, you know, in some ways, it was it was a different voice. You know, it's funny, right when right when Coach Mack took over, I think we rattled off eight straight, and it's not like you know he came in and, and changed our whole offense and changed our whole defense, and we had all these four hour long practices where everything changed. It was. There was just there was a different energy uh, that was in our room in the locker room. Um, obviously, he made subtle changes. He started to to run more plays off the ball offensively. You know, he I think he worked to get different guys shots within our offense um, that seemed to help a lot of guys, including myself. And defensively, he was just he was just he told us from day one. He's like, if you're not going to be a two way player, you're not going to play for me. Um, and that was a big thing. I think guys effort wise started to step up and be better on the defensive end and. We started to get a little bit of confidence. You went eight straight, all of a sudden you're beating good teams and beating good teams on the road, and, and you start to get a little confidence, and, and that carries you the rest of the season. All right, Kevin, hang on. When we come back, we're going to talk to you about your welcome to the NBA moment. Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with Kevin Herter of the Hawks, who once said that with turnover in the NBA, you're always thinking about guys coming behind you and taking your spot. So think about this for Kevin. Do you still feel that way right now, as as, uh, accomplished as you are with a new contract? I mean, yeah, I think it's in some ways it's, it's healthy to always keep that mindset. You know, it keeps you working, keeps you going to the gym every day, knowing that there's always people that would kill to be in your shoes and, and would love the opportunity that you're getting. And um, a new contract's great. All it does is, I guess, it guarantees that you know, the next four years I'll be somewhere, whether that's you know with the Hawks or uh, under what situation. But you know, for me, it's I'm going to continue to work like there's always someone trying to come in behind me. I want to take you back to your rookie year for a second. Uh, Kevin Durant was with Golden State. You guys were playing them. And there's always a welcome to the NBA moment. Every rookie has one. And I understand that that welcome to the NBA moment happened to you with Kevin Durant. What was that all about? Yeah, I mean, there's few guys in the NBA that, you know, you go into a game and when they're on the court or they're during warm-ups that just there's a different feeling in the gym. And Kevin Durant in the NBA is one of those guys that it's, there's a different feeling when he's on the court and you're playing against him. And uh, my rookie year, we were playing. We were on the road at Golden State. And, you know, I get, I get switched off onto him and, um, and all of a sudden it was like, all right, like I'm, I'm guarding Kevin Durant, like, here we go. And, uh, I tried to pressure him right away and, you know, he loses the ball. It goes out to half court and, and my confidence just skyrockets. And I think the shot clock is going down. And so I go and I pick him up again, up at half court and I'm trying to pressure him. And, and he takes like two of the easiest dribbles to the free throw line, gives me a quick shoulder bump to the chest and leans and, and bangs a shot with about one on the shot clock. And, as he's backpedaling, he just yells, "Welcome to the league, Rook!" And uh, and that for me it was that was another validation that you know these guys are just different. You can play as good a defense as you want, and and a lot of times the offense is just going to win. And um, that was funny for me. I remember we had Torian Prince running back by me and, and like was out loud laughing on the court because he he heard him yelling. And uh, for me that was that was something I'll never forget. That was definitely my welcome to the NBA moment. 
Uh, it's great. All right. Even before you went to Maryland and the NBA, of course, you heard Kobe Bryant speak at an elite skills camp. What was his message that you took away? Yeah, I mean, so speaking of other people that you walk into a gym and it's just a different feeling, Kobe is another one of those guys. And uh, and I was in high school this time at the time, and he was the first person that said in my whole life that I ever heard say it, that was you have to put all your eggs in one basket. And he's like, you know, you, you had all the elite players in the country, in the gym, both at the high school, at the college level, and it was this big camp. And, and he just said, like, if you guys are serious about this, so make it to the NBA and uh, it, and trying to achieve your dreams, you need to fully commit to it. You, you can't be half in, half out. You got to put all your eggs in one basket where you're, you got to be prepared to fail, where there's no second option. And in your whole life, you're growing up and all your teachers and all your parents are telling you to try different things and you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That, that was kind of eye opening for me uh, that just showed his dedication over the course of his career. And that if this was something I was truly serious about, you know, going from a high school guy and how it could translate and, and build to the next level was something that, um, I couldn't have a second option. I couldn't have anything to fall back on. You know, speaking of putting eggs in a basket, Steph Curry is on a, a torrid pace this year. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and I'm sure you've seen some of him, and I'm, I'm not sure if you guys played them yet or not, but uh, when you watch him shoot, do you think about, like, what your own range is and, and how far is that range? Where can you shoot from comfortably and feel confident that you can make it? I mean, definitely a couple steps past the line, but it's nothing like Steph. It feels like every shot that that guy throws up, it's going in. Uh, and we have played him. You know, we were the team. Steph gave us 50 earlier this year when we played at Golden State, and, and I guarded him for a lot of those possessions. And it's just tough, man, especially the way that their offense works and you know, his off-ball movement and, and the shape that he's in. And, you know, he just wears you out over the course of the game. Just the guy doesn't get tired. And uh, mentally wears you out. You know, he, he's making shots from all over the court and teammates are finding him. And, and uh, it's tough to play against. You give him all the credit in the world. He's, he's I think, undoubtedly the best shooter of all time and a shooter that we've never seen before. And um, he's truly changed the game. And it, it sucks playing against him. I'm not going to lie. We'll be back and we're going to put Kevin through the redheaded challenge right after this. Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Welcome back to Game Time as we continue with Hawks' Kevin Herter. Tell me about 518 Hoop Fest and what does it mean to you? Yeah, it was it was great. It was a one-day event I was able to host back up in my hometown. Um, you know, unfortunately with COVID and, and last year's playoff run, uh, you know, the last two summers I haven't been able to give back as much as I would have liked to. I haven't been able to, to do any camps or, or host really any events. And um, last year I knew I was going to have a short – period of time where I could get back home and do something like this. So I wanted to be able to, to put on a one-day event that could check a lot of boxes. I could I could get back. I could run a camp. I could see a lot of people that have supported me uh, throughout my career and growing up. And um, and it was a great day. You know, we found these outdoor courts in my hometown, put on a great event, had a lot of great sponsors, got a lot of see, a lot of really good people. And uh, the rest of the day sent it up to the track up in Saratoga. And I think the next day I flew out. So it was it was a good short time I was able to be at home. And uh, it's something that I'm obviously looking forward to doing in the years to come. All right. Are you ready to take the redhead challenge? 
I think so. I think so. I'm excited right. to see what this is. All right. So, which quarterback is known as the Red Rifle? Andy Dalton. Yes, that's right. Uh, which yeah. redheaded German tennis star won three Wimbledons? Not a tennis guy, so I don't know this one. Boris Becker. Okay. All right. Which redheaded quarterback played at North Dakota State? I'm not sure I know this one either. He's playing for the Colts. Uh, Carson Wentz. I should, he is redheaded, I guess. Wow. He's not someone yes, that came well, off. Yeah, he is. All right. So which former NBA player, you better know this one, is known as White Mamba? This is Brian Scalabrine. This is the goat right here. That was exactly it. If right. I got this wrong, you'd kick me off the show. <laughs> uh, which snowboarding legend is known as the Flying Tomato? I know he's white. The last name is Sean white. white. Sean White. Sean White. Sean white. Very good. All there right. Which redheaded slugger hit 70 home runs back in 1998? Mark McGuire. That's right. Which Hall of Fame NBA center is known as the Big Redhead? I don't think I know this one either. He talks a lot. He's a, you know, he's an analyst. He's always, you know, lecturing us. Bill Walton. <laughs> big, big, oh, uh, Bill last, Walton. Yes, yeah, okay. Yes. You said, yeah. Okay. All right. And the last one. Name at least one redheaded Hall of Fame basketball coach. One redheaded Hall of Fame basketball coach. I'm just going to go because Red's in his name. Let's go Red Allback. Very we'll go good. Red Allback or Red Holzman, either one. That's the, That would have been it. You know, Kevin, it's so great to talk to you, and uh, I appreciate you, and I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Awesome. Yeah, truly, thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks to all of you for watching. I'm Boomer Esaias, and I'll see you again real soon right here on Game Time with Toronto Maple Leafs superstar Austin Matthews. I didn't go to the draft. And that was a big read as I was like, man, I don't want to be the last guy sitting there. Like, I don't know how it's going to go. So I ended up, like, 19 was good. There was people that got picked behind me. But I'm like, yo, if I'm one of those guys that's, like, dropped second round and I got to be the only dude sitting here with my family, that's going to be weird. Um, True. I didn't go to the draft either. I didn't trust anybody. I never trusted anybody. (laughs) We both seem to turn out okay. Yes. Yeah, we turned out all right.